0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, May 17th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, aside from poetsandmuses.com and our SoundCloud page, you can also listen to our episodes now at Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, as well as Stitcher. With us today is Lindsay Syatt, with whom I will be discussing his poem, Late Night Carousel, and my poem, Squished. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of May 18th. On Monday, May 18th from 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Weijinan TV will be hosting the second of his 20-episode The Weijinan Wind Carriers Challenge, which anyone can participate in, but only Indigenous youths between 8 and 25 years old are eligible for the prizes, including a grand prize of a MacBook Pro. You can find out more information about that at facebook.com forward slash events for slash six four four five four seven three zero nine four five eight six eight zero. Again that's facebook.com forward slash events for slash six four four five four seven three zero nine four five eight six eight zero at eight PM Central Time. Frizzy Productions will be hosting its Poets Playground open mic which will feature one of our past Poet guests, Amp. This will take place via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. On Tuesday, May 19th, from 3 to 5 Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting its weekly first draft open mic virtual writing workshop and open mic series series, facilitated by Roya Marsh. This will be for those between the ages of 13 and 23. You can find out more information about this at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, the tiny cover We'll be hosting its weekly virtual poetry event via Zoom, and you can find out more information at thetinycover.com/events. Again, that's thetinycover.com/events from 7 to 8:30 p.m. Central Time. The St. Louis Park Friends of the Arts will be hosting its Stay at Home Open Mic Poetry Jam via Zoom. You can find out information about that at slpfota.org forward slash events. Again, that's slpfota.org forward slash events. From 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific Time, Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop via Zoom. You can find out more information about that at meetup.com. Look for Chandler Prose and Poetry. Again, that's meetup.com. Search for Chandler Prose and Poetry on Wednesday, May 20th from 3 to 4 Eastern Time. Nuijolan TV will be hosting Nuijolan Got Talent which showcases indigenous youths between 13 and 25 years old this will take place via Instagram live and you can RSVP at nuijolan tv that's n w e j i n a n t v again that's n w e j i n a n t v from 7 p.m pacific time indigenous honeys will be hosting its honey drops storytelling series with poet artist and community educator miriam mosqueda this will take place on instagram live at indigenous underscore honeys again that's indigenous underscore honeys on thursday may 21st from 9 to 11 p.m eastern time DC will be hosting its weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Spit.dc. Again, that's Spit.dc. S P I T D A T D C. From 7 to 8 p.m. Pacific time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting its weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Phonetic Spit. That's P H O N E. T-I-C-S-P-I-T. From 7.30 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time, District 4 Poetry will be hosting its monthly poetry open mic via Zoom. You can find out more about that at facebook.com forward slash district4poetry. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash district4poetry. Four is the number four. On Friday, May 22nd, from 7 to 8.30 Eastern Time, Vibe Theatre Experience will be hosting La Limpiazza, a virtual reading. You can find out more information about that at vibetheatre.org. Again, that's vibetheatre.org. On Saturday, May 23rd, from 6 to 8 p.m., British Summertime, Women of Words will be hosting It's Wine and Rhyme, an evening of writing, poetry, and spoken word. You can find out more information about that via Instagram at women underscore of words. Again, that's women underscore of words. From 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific time, East Wind Books of Berkeley will be hosting Celebrate APA Heritage with the Poetry of Jason Bayani, Eileen Casinero, and Mao Xin Wen. This will take place via Zoom, and you can find out more information about that at AsiaBookCenter.com. Again, that's AsiaBookCenter.com. From 7 p.m. Pacific time, our past poet guest Austin Davis will be launching his virtual book tour with Kid Carrion. And that's via Instagram Live. You can find out more information at Austin W Davis One. Again, that's Austin W Davis One. That's the number one. And now, welcome to our poet guest of the week, Lindsay Saya. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses.
1: Oh, hello. Um, thank you for having me. It's uh, you know real pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, same here. You brought with you the poem, Late Night Carousal. Yes. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: My name is Lindsay Saya. I am 36 years old. I'm currently attending Arizona State University, studying creative writing. Mm -hmm. Actually, I spent a large part of my adult life uh, incarcerated. 15 years. Um, I've been free now for uh, about a year,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, I think it was there that I started writing, so mm-hmm. I just kind of decided to pursue it after I got out, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Right, right,
0: This particular poem appeared in Iron City Magazine, is that right?
1: Uh, yeah, that's correct, uh, issue four of Iron City Magazine, yes.
0: Great. great. And- if I understand correctly, they specialize in publishing art uh, and artistic products by those who have been incarcerated.
1: Uh, yeah, that's correct. So this this uh, magazine, they you know, they provide that kind of platform mm-hmm. uh, that gears towards those that have are incarcerated, have been incarcerated, and that are affected by incarceration and mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it just allows. You know, for those individuals that are looked over by in society, to kind of give us uh, a platform to, to share our voice.
0: And how did you um, get involved with Iron City? You said you started writing while you were still inside. Um, was it because of Iron City, or was it something else?
1: Well, no. I mean, Iron City, I think, was it's a it's a wonderful magazine. But there was this professor from Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Dr. Cornelia Wells, mm-hmm. and her along with several interns, ASU interns would come to the prisons and uh, teach creative writing workshops. Uh, and there was a separate program. This was a separate program and they were just like ASU workshops.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I decided to go. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I had been writing a little bit before that,
2: mm-hmm. but it wasn't
1: until I started going to these workshops. It wasn't until I met uh, Dr. Wells that I really started taking it seriously.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I owe a lot to Dr. Wells. She kind of allowed me to believe that I could write, mm-hmm. you know, uh, professionally or just just write. I think that's kind of how I really got into it and taking it seriously anyway. We're going to these AEC workshops and kind of learning the techniques uh, of creative writing.
0: Right, right. And in terms of your own writing, you have said you were already writing. When did you start writing poetry?
1: Oh, well, poetry. (laughs) I think I might have written my first poem when I was 18 or 19, maybe even before that. I'm sure I had written some, like, for school or or what have you in high school. But I think writing for myself, like, just writing a poem for myself, I might have been 18 or or 19, around there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Was that before or, or after you became incarcerated?
1: Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that was uh, definitely, um, that was before I was incarcerated. Mm. I was incarcerated at the age of 20.
0: Mm.
1: So it was it was before. Um, okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what brought you to poetry? What, what made you decide to write when you were 18 to go to poetry?
1: I think I've always felt this kind of need to express myself artistically, creatively. Uh, and I think throughout the years, I've kind of dabbled in different forms of artistic expression. Yeah. And poetry, I think, just kind of has that natural, almost urgent, immediate feel to, like, you can just sit down and write and it create something. And I think initially, for me, you know, it was kind of just that cliche, classic, oh, it was for a girl, or I'm sure I was lovelorn at the time, and I, I had to express myself about it, so I decided uh, why not write a poem?
0: Right, right. So, you wrote it for someone that you had, a, I guess, a crush on or feelings for. Um, did you give it to her? No,
1: I don't recall that I did. I remember having like a notebook the kind that's just, like, it might have been, like, a, for drawing because the, the pages were blank, right? Mm-hmm. And so I remember writing this poem and, you know, going through some things <laughs> with this individual, and, and I remember staying up late mm-hmm. and and just writing, but I never, I don't think I ever shared it with that individual. Right. Um, I think it was more about myself, uh, about trying to understand what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. and So I don't think I ever, ever really shared it with that person.
0: Okay. Were you writing consistently um, from when you were 18 to now?
1: No. I think at that time, when I was 18, I just kind of, you know, dabbled a little bit. I think I had written a few poems once I was incarcerated in, in the early years, mm-hmm. my early 20s, uh, around 23, 24 I started writing uh, screenplays. It was, that was like my main interest. You know, it's just Mm. screenplays and and fiction. Mm. I think around the age of 27, 28. And is when I started writing more poetry. And I I think from that age and on until now, I really started writing consistently and, um, you know, considering the environment I was in, Mm -hmm. there was just a lot that was just happening inside of me that I felt needed to be expressed or, or. taken out of me, in in a sense. So I think that's about the age when I started writing consistently. And then especially when I started going to the workshops, and that was when things clicked. That was when it almost gave me a reason to write, Mm -hmm. and it also challenged me to create better art, I think. Right.
0: And how long were you in those workshops?
1: The first workshop I attended was in 2014, and it was kind of Mm short-lived. And then I was moved to a different prison, a different unit. Mm-hmm. And in that unit, I believe it was 2016, and that's when I met Dr. Wells, mm-hmm. and I started going to her, her um, workshop. So from 2016 to 2019, mm-hmm. so about three years, almost four, I was attending those ASU uh, poetry and creative writing uh, workshops.
0: Right. If you don't mind, I would love for you to share your poem with us, and then we can get into the details about it
1: sure absolutely tonight we drink hooch tonight we break the rules tonight we drown in botulism juice and breathe out hot putrid inebriation tonight we forget what we are tonight we pass bottles of milky liquid smelling of bitterness and vileness a witch's brew Like we've poured in our own iniquities. Tonight we drink pulpy, milky fire. We've distilled through old socks. And when that buzz is working through us, claiming us, we'll start laughing. And Hector and Smiley are scrapping again. And Hector and Smiley are friends again. And when the guards walk by with their keys clanging and their boots stomping, we get real quiet. Like startled crickets. And when they pass, we are laughing, laughs that can't be confiscated. And the bottles are being passed, and we are breaking the rules tonight. And the homies from the cell block over cruise by saying, What's up, homes? And we pass that foul smelling hooch, tasting of rotted up fruit, hot on our tongues. And we might as well be on the front porch of our own homes. Music kicking, sun slipping into redness, and cold forties frosted up. And we might as well be at home. And tonight we ain't numbers, but brothers. And that warmness in our bellies ain't from no sorrows or no sadnesses. Tonight we are kings and lords. Tonight we dance around a fire, a conflagration that will reach the night. Around a fire, we will chant like wild things chasing the red embers and we'll be masters and paint our bodies white like statues of alabaster and tonight we are the tribe of lost ones and we are breaking the rules tonight cause tomorrow will be weeds growing between concrete paths waiting to be plucked out by our stems and our roots will be doused in years and we'll breathe in the sour scent of time again. Cause tomorrow is yesterday, is tomorrow again. And days exanguinate their red fluid into each other's mouths until they are one. And one day is all days and a seed will breed in our brains madness. Cause tomorrow we will walk through a garden of walls and flowers made of razors and wires. And the smell of their pollen will poison us again. Because tomorrow, when we're all sobered up, we'll eat crisp fruit from the vines of our hearts and taste dead sweetness and spit out fate again. Because the days and the hours and the seconds come a steam rolling over us. So tonight, we break the rules. Tonight, we drink hooch.
0: Thank you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) When did you write this?
1: Well, I want to say, let me see, 18, uh, 2018, about a year, maybe less than a year before I was released from prison. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Was there anything specific that inspired you to write this? I, I can understand the overall circumstances, but is there a, a catalyst? Yeah point
1: um well yes um actually i think one of the things that uh came to me when i wrote this was throughout the years i mean you you may have heard you know like there's prison hooch and uh, inmates learn how to make uh you know a hooch al- alcohol and one of the kind of comments i would hear throughout the years from like prison guards or prison staff mm-hmm. w- when they would catch uh some of us drinking or you know someone would get caught and they'd get in trouble and I'd always hear like like well you know why do you guys do that or like you're already incarcerated like why why do something that's against the rules why like why do that so stupid why 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 yeah. right so for me I think this poem was in a way like exploring that and answering that mm-hmm. you know I think when you're on the outside looking in that you it's easy to kind of judge it's easy to say well Ah, of course he's getting drunk in prison. He's a convict, like he's a criminal. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's easy to kind of just assume that the act of getting drunk by criminals is just it goes with the stereotype or the character, right? It's something bad. So for me, it was about exploring those reasons why we do it. You know, and I think it's deeper than just altering our state of mind, or maybe it is about altering our state of mind. And it's about escaping, uh, really, ultimately, what it comes down to it's about realizing that for a lot of individuals are, that are ne- never getting out or they're in there for a very long period of time and there's really nothing to look forward to. Every day is the same. Right. And so I think that, you know, writing about hooch or, or why we do that, and I think that's the, some of the reasons that I tried to explore there with. You know, our uh, reasons out that, that someone might drink hooch. <laughs> There's something deeper there than just, uh, you know, getting drunk. <laughs> I think.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you certainly express that beautifully, and you can see that the hooch, as a character, gives you um, a certain safe space. Hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's definitely part. I think that's something that is often missed, uh, by, you know, those that just don't understand. Uh, and, you know, and that was another purpose I think for this is this poem was to without condoning or condemning just, uh, this is what it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And hopefully someone reading it can at the very least understand, you know, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or attempt to anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you you mentioned about how the days are bleeding into each other. And what? it certainly feels the same right now.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, uh, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, it's very bizarre right now for me because I've spent a lot of time alone. And, you know, I think when you're doing time, and especially if you're doing cell time and things like that, you know, it's very similar to maybe what individuals are experiencing right now mm-hmm. being at home and this kind of social distancing. And so I think it's kind of relevant. I think, you know, in a strange way, a lot of people are experiencing that, that feeling that uh, a lot of us uh, uh, or those of us that have been incarcerated have felt. Yeah. So, it, I mean, for me, it's just bizarre because it's like, <laughs> Am I am I experiencing this again on a different level? You know,
0: right, right. <laughs> it, I mean, it's it's strange, right? Because on the one hand, you have training for it, so right, are, right, 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 right. I right. think in some ways you are psychologically much stronger because of that training than a lot of people who've never been in that situation. Yes. At the same time, you put in your time already.
2: Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <it's> like, <laughs>
0: it's like almost like a cruel joke in some ways it's it's very unfair
1: (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah no I think you're you make a good point uh on the one hand I you know I guess you call it uh institutionalization Mm -hmm. where this doesn't seem it doesn't seem bad for me because of the institutionalization, right? You know, I've experienced this and that's a bad thing, right? It's a bad mm-hmm. thing that this should be normal to me, right? right. right. However, I, I get and I understand, you know, I think about just individuals, maybe even yourself, that this is just not normal, right? This is not a way to feel or, or exist, you know?
0: Right, right. Well, in some ways I've, been prepared as well uh in a different way uh and i think later on we can talk about it through the poem that i tell you do you mind if i ask you for what you went inside
1: uh no that's fine i was convicted of armed robbery Mm. you know i was a young kid and uh at the age of 20 i i committed several uh robberies with a toy gun Mm. and uh unfortunately i was just a very kind of a irresponsible, cowardly individual that thought, you know, oh, this isn't that bad, so you know, I allowed myself to do these things. And, uh, anyways, I, I got caught, and so ultimately I, I went to prison for armed robbery.
0: I have no idea what are the sentencing rules involved in things like that, um, and so I have no commentary about it. So I don't I don't know if you have commentary about that. Or...
1: Well. I think over the years, I don't know. I mean, I've I've had individuals close to me, and or just people in general might say, "Oh well, wow, they were pretty harsh on you. You've never been in trouble. You're a good kid, this and that." Mm. And and on the other hand, you know, I broke the law. You know, I was I was guilty.
2: But- you know,
1: I, I went, I paid. You know, if I didn't want to go to prison, I, sh- I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing you know?
2: Mm.
1: So I, I don't know. I think for me, it's, it's kind of hard because I've debated that uh, many times in my own mind, like, Oh, the should and shouldn't or deserve or don't deserve. Yeah. It, it's just, it's hard for me to kind of still think about that because I, I'm not a judge, you know? And I don't know. I think it's, for me, it's just one of those topics that it, it's just really hard to, I don't know, it really Explain the shoulds because you know. On the one hand, I'm, I'm guilty, and on the other hand, there are a lot of ex, you know other extra factors that don't go into sentencing. You know, right and I think that's one of the things I learned as well uh, in prison was that the world isn't black and white; it's black, white, and a whole lot of gray in between. You know.
0: Yeah, definitely, and you know, the gray allows us to kind of move in shadows. Um... <laughs> In some ways, as poets, we live in the gray. Yeah. In other ways, when you are subjected to the gray, you know, when it comes to reward and punishment systems, it could seem very unfair, especially if you see someone else who maybe put themselves in the same circumstances as you, but are not receiving the same kind of punishment or same rewards, then you kind of wonder... Why is this one different than the than what I'm going through?
1: Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, certainly that has crossed my mind over the years. And I think that's where the, conf- the conflict comes inside my heart, is that on the one hand, I, I think of things, things like that, you know, mm-hmm. kind of uh, disparities maybe that happen in different cases or sentencing factors and what have you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've personally known individuals that have, you know, convicted of second degree murder, who had less time than me. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: However, I, I always come back to that. Well, again, <laughs> I, I'm I'm guilty. I'm guilty. So it's I always have that conflict between what I think I should have gotten, as opposed to well, I can't complain. I guess in a way, mm-hmm. if if I'm not innocent, you know. Right. And so I think that's as always. I've been in the back of my mind, you know, I, I'll always be my harshest critic in life, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just for me, that's where the conflict is, you know?
0: Right, right. And it makes sense because you're the one who had to do the time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and for other people to stand back, whether judging in a positive yes. or a negative light, it's yes. still them judging from a more a distant, you know, it's more theoretical.
1: Really. Right. right. Absolutely.
0: But going back to your poem, in terms of the decision to make this a visual poem as well as a a verbal poem, what made you decide to um, lay it out the way it is?
1: Well, I think for someone who has experienced it firsthand, I think it was important to put out those images, those authentic, genuine images, and I think it it was important to know that hopefully someone would be reading this or listening to it Mm -hmm. and you know to convey the 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 realness of what I experienced um -hmm. so I think that in terms of imagery that's that was definitely my goal um to really try to paint that picture and to have someone see what was happening but also like in the moments when I'm kind of talking about that that the speakers kind of Desire to escape, right? That escapism that's kind of happening, and those the images associated with that. I think that was important as well to kind of show that the desire of the speaker to want to get away from the uh, the kind of prison image imagery, right?
0: Right. I'm glad what you're talking about what you are talking about because those are important as well. And and your poem is certainly full of beautiful imagery. Uh, honestly, it's just without you saying it explicitly in the poem, I don't think many people will understand that it, it was being written about incarceration. So, right. so I, I think you definitely achieve that escapism from the imagery perspective. What I was asking, what I uh, wanted to understand is that your poem, it has a visual element to it. It's not like-
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's so I was wondering what made you decide to lay out the lines the way they are laid out.
1: Yeah. So there's definitely like an energy uh, I was attempting, right, with the feel when when you when I'm speaking it, when I'm reading it, mm-hmm. there's an energy. And it's kind of like back and forth yeah. energy. And in a way, I try to kind of accomplish that with the laying of some of these lines mm-hmm. and also wanting to just bring attention to specific uh, words or, or, or phrases or lines, I think that kind of where I wanted the energy to land on, I think on some words or some phrases, right? Okay. So I think that was kind of my main idea behind that, especially kind of towards the second, the latter part of the poem when I have the, the again kind of center or all, you know, on the other, other side of the page. I have really wanted kind of that reader to land on those, that repetitive again, that this is the repetition of of this speaker's experience right
0: right right that's cool yeah because i, I don't have a lot of visual poems um, because right. i don't a part of me is like um you know i'm more interested in getting the thoughts out there rather than shaping them if i do yes. do visual poems mostly i do them afterwards rather than while writing it so did you lay this out as it is while you were writing it or after you wrote it
1: Oh, no, no, no. I'm the same. I just, you know, the words have to come out, right? Right. And that's the important thing. The words, the feeling, the feeling. For me, it's always about the feeling, right? So I write the words, you know, I have my notepad that I write, And then I think afterwards, the visual aspect, that's last for me, right? right? So I make sure I have the right words, the right feeling, what I'm trying to convey. And then maybe I'll play with the visual aspect of it. And if it works, if I feel like it works, if I feel like it adds to it, then, you know, I'll keep it. Uh, But that's definitely, like, just kind of the very last part of the revision process for me anyway.
0: Right, right. That makes sense. So going back to your imagery, and I have to tell you, I never heard about Prison Hooch until you wrote about it and talked about it. I did not know this thing happened. So so (laughs) you are enlightening me and probably a lot. Of other people as well. Yeah. How the heck do people get away with making prison hooch?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that <laughs> there there are a number of ways. Some that I'm sure I have not encountered yet, as well. Essentially, you get there's items you can buy off of commissary. Right. There's a lot of smuggling that happens as well from like you know the kitchen and things like that that happen in. Uh, I guess one of the easiest ways is you would, like, just get sugar, uh, some kind of uh, maybe tomato paste,
2: right.
1: uh, water, mix it up, and then you just let it ferment. And then you kind of distill it through whatever you got, socks or a sheet or whatever.
2: Right. And
1: then you just you drink what's left over. Wow. <laughs> so it's a, yeah. You know, so it's not the best smelling, the best looking thing, but uh, it, it, gets, it gets the job done, I guess.
0: Right, right. It gets you there. I would love to go to your poem and talk about some of the imagery that you mentioned, like the groups of stanza word you were talking about tonight. We are kings and lords. Tonight we dance around a fire. And then you go into this imagery of the fire of painting our bodies white, like statues of alabaster. And tonight we are the tribe of lost ones. And I was wondering in terms of that imagery, because it reminded me of, imagery that I've seen uh, in terms of Native American rituals. I don't know if that's something that you had in mind you were, were trying to reference.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, not necessarily. I think what I was touching on is that I, often there's a sentiment that we, I think, feel that it is shown towards us as this kind of idea of that we're these wild, kind of uncivilized Individuals, and to a certain extent, yes, that, that that is true. So I guess in a way, this was kind of like the hooch or the act of of forgetting. It, it, in that kind of drunken state, we're going to become distance ourselves from the hold of the this institution, this the rules, and be completely ruleless and be. Uh, wild and just our own kind of creating our own tribe, our own rituals, and our own
0: kind of uh,
1: freedom in in a way.
0: Right, right. At the same time, I feel like it wasn't complete wild with abandon. There was a lot of cultural aspects to it. I don't, I don't huh. know how to say it like maybe cultural rules because it was it was still contained. It, Like, in these stanzas, the narrator is describing a scene that's, you know, like, they are free. Right. They are free, and they're enjoying a time that calls calls back to something that's closer to nature, um, you know, without these artificial buildings and such. Recalling sort of elemental nature.
1: Yeah. I think you make a good point, and I think that was, yeah, that was kind of a really kind of touching on that primal, I think, desire for freedom is really kind of what that image is supposed to represent, that really innate primal kind of feeling of reconnecting with nature, which is reconnecting with pure freedom, I think. Mm
0: -hmm. And then you go right back to the, because tomorrow will be we's, and so it brings it right back to the inhumanity in in terms of contrast
1: yeah for sure for sure yes and I think that's where kind of the turn happens it's where the speaker is almost elating this what's what we're going to do tonight you know and then it's like almost like a reality check you know it's like okay because tomorrow this is it's we're gonna have to start this all over again you know so it's kind of definitely kind of coming back to the reality of, or the harshness of the speaker's reality, I think.
0: Right, right. I was wondering, since you, you said you wrote this a year before your release, did you know already at that time that you were going to leave?
1: Yes, yes. I had a sentence and date from the very beginning, so I knew I was going to be released on a certain day. Right. So, yeah, by, by the time I wrote this, I had already been incarcerated for 14 and something years. Yeah. So, yeah, I knew I was going home. Right.
2: right.
1: Well, you know, I think knowing that, it was important for me to write this and these kinds of poems while that feeling and emotion was still fresh and still coursing through me. Right. You know, when I wrote this, I think there was perhaps also fear of, like, not being able to connect with this version of me anymore once I got out. Right. And so I think it was important for me to write this at that time.
0: Right. Yeah. Because there, there is a sense of camaraderie running throughout the poem.
1: Yeah. So there's like a saying I, I, I often say, I was never alone, but I was always lonely.
2: Mm.
1: You know, so at any given time, you're, you could be surrounded by 50, 100 inmates, staff guards. So there's people there, even if you're in a cell. Cellmate, mm. or even if you're in a cell by yourself, you can kind of yell to the vents, you, you're going to have someone yelling back. Mm. But there's always a sense of, of loneliness, mm. you know. And I think in these particular moments, when you're able to connect with individuals
2: mm-hmm.
1: and share these kind of these moments of camaraderie mm-hmm. through the act of drinking or whatever it may be,
2: mm-hmm. those
1: mm-hmm. are the kind of the moments that get you through. I think,
2: mm. you know,
1: because ultimately. These are the only relationships that you have uh, in there. I think.
0: Right. Are you still in touch with some of the people inside?
1: Not as much as I'd like to be, mm. uh, unfortunately. And I think that's something that uh, when you when you are incarcerated, you look forward to mail. I mean, that's like. That is the thing that, like, you you hope that they call your name out, right, for mail. Like, that is, it's a blessing if you get a letter, mm-hmm. especially from particular individuals, right? Mm-hmm. And you say mm-hmm. to yourself, oh, well, how hard is it to pick up a pen and a paper and mail it out? So now that I've been out, life is moving. Life is happening. And you yeah. have to work. And you have to go to school. And you have to do this. And you have to do that. Or, or whatever your responsibilities are. Yeah. So now it's, uh, I'm not in touch with them just, you know, because life is happening, although I would like to be a little bit more, or I should put more effort, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and, you know, again, you have the benefit of seeing it from both sides.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, for me, when I was in there, I always tried to not have any form of resentment towards any person that i cared about who was unable to connect with me or just because i try to imagine the things that are happening right so now that i am a free person and i have people that i'm close to that i that are still my friends that are incarcerated Mm -hmm. i kind of see that the other side to it it's not always that easy to pick up a pen and, <laughs> and send out a letter or might write it but it might sit there right for a little while yeah. before it sent out so yeah it's it's definitely strange to be experiencing the things that i was i used to wonder about when i was incarcerated
0: right so i'm guessing it's not easy to access electronic mail
1: that's definitely a big no-no uh, in prison there's no internet there is no like modern technology in there other than maybe a tele your television set Mm. a cd player there's computers in internet but those are you know access only by staff uh, guards and counselors and things like that so there's no email or anything like that you know right so my understanding of the modern world was only possible because of television you know in reeking
0: right right wow you have access to the, this writing class. Do you have access to computing classes?
1: That's kind of a complicated one because there were points in time during my incarceration where the prison system would maybe try to implement like a computer literacy class of some sort, right? Yeah. And it would only last for so long before they'd sh- they'd find a reason to shut it down. <laughs> Education is just not a priority for... The staff and, and the system education is just not uh, their priority, right?
0: right?
1: So if those kinds of uh, classes were started, they would very soon end.
0: Mm. For somebody who's lived half of your life in inside, mm-hmm. um, you know, going back out, how do you adjust? Like technology, for instance, has changed so much even within the last few years. Yeah. It becomes such a basic tool now. How can you reintegrate into society if you don't have the benefit of the knowledge?
1: Absolutely. And I think that's one of the downfalls of the Department of Corrections is that um, there's definitely a neglect in terms of the education and the rehabilitation of of prisoners. I've read it, and it's a very high number of individuals that are going to be released from prison. You know, these are people that that have a release date. Right. These are people that will be our neighbors and will be working with us. Why would we not educate these individuals and not give them the tools needed to exist? The, the basic tools, basic understanding of of computers and technology that is needed. When I first got out, I remember going to like Walmart or the grocery store, and you know, going to the the self checkouts, and I was mm-hmm. filled with so much um, anxiety, mm. afraid that I wasn't going to know how to use the self checkout, and that people would look at me and say, "This guy, this guy doesn't know how to use it." That I turned around and and just went the opposite direction. Wow! And that was the kind of anxiety that that I experienced, mm. it's just because of the unfamiliarity with with technology. Uh, so it's definitely been. Yeah, an for sure, to say the least. Acquainting myself with you know the smartphones and stuff like that, you know. Right,
0: right, yeah, it's, yeah, it's Changed a lot in the last sixteen years.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> and speaking of the people that you still know from inside, though you're not as in touch with them as you wanted, do you know what their current situation is like, given what's going on with the pandemic?
1: Unfortunately, no. I haven't been able to keep up personally with individuals. I mean, I've been able to see a few snippets of uh, news stories. I've right. noticed. I've seen that uh, quite a few of individuals and, and have, are being test, you know testing positive for COVID nineteen in the prison system. And one of the prisons that I was at, from what I understand, uh, the virus has been kind of prevalent there in the Florence uh, unit.
0: Right. However,
1: I haven't been able to really kind of connect with anybody personally and ask how things are going currently in there.
0: Right. I also saw some news reports about it and how people who are in there for nonviolent crimes or who, who are slated to go get out very soon. And, I yeah. mean, they're basically facing a death sentence.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's such a complicated and trying time, I think, you know. I have a friend, a very good friend, who was just released in March, although I haven't been able to contact him, or or I really don't know how he's doing because we just didn't have each other's contact information, I think. And so, in a way, he's kind of lost to me, but I know he was getting out in in March. But I just kept thinking about, wow, like, you know, had he gotten into contact with the virus while he was incarcerated? I mean, what—and then I started thinking about, well, look, you know, what is he getting out to— when you get out that's you know a pretty happy time it's like right. you prepare for it it's the biggest moment right, right. and then I started thinking about like wow he's getting out right in the middle of, of all this and it's you know how how trying is that you know
0: right <laughs> oh, my god yeah just what we talked about before in terms of your own situation is like having gotten out and then basically going right back in but in a different way you know
1: yeah well like I said for for me it's I think different only because my incarceration definitely allowed me, it taught me to appreciate a lot of things, a lot of small things. It's the small things that you grow to miss and then you, you appreciate, especially once you're, when you're out. Right. Uh, even now, I, I'm very uh, fortunate. Even in this uh, this bizarro world that we're in right now, uh, I still find myself to be fortunate
2: mm-hmm.
1: because you know I remember sleeping on the concrete floor I remember very terrible things happening around me I've eaten out of the garbage I've been very very hungry I've eaten you know like right. I can remember the very low low of life right. and so I definitely am able or at least I tried to kind of see you know a very cliche way to say it, but you know the kind of silver lining and in, in little things I guess
0: right yeah, and I think you have to. Um, yeah. We all have to in, in the capacity that we can. And, uh, what else are you going to do, right? Like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> and so I mentioned before that you know I have some training in terms of there is these – Physical imprisonment and there's also the psychological imprisonment. Sometimes they go hand in hand, and sometimes
1: absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah it's separate. So I, I definitely feel um, a, a sort of a more psychological one, and and that's why I kind of chose. Well, and also one of the main reasons I chose my poems, yours, is because this idea of that you described in your beautiful words about. Um. The how people are being reduced to numbers, how they're being in many ways tortured and killed on the inside,
1: mm.
0: not necessarily physically, but certainly psychologically.
1: Yes, yeah, for know, sure.
0: Through all the descriptions, the smells, the sounds, the sights that, that you put in the poem. So, and that that's what made me think of this particular poem, which also talks about how people are being reduced for you know a different reason so i'm going to read that and then we can talk about it okay yes it's called squished i'd like to see women come out on top not because a man is tired or he wants to see a reverse cowgirl but because we are finally being valued as full-fledged human beings though never stated explicitly We're not even weighed a three-fifths, since dozens need to speak up to topple a man from his powerful perch. And 300 rape victims might net a 10-year jail sentence, we are fractions divided so finely we need to be measured in tinsel strength, but just as the tiny spider we produce such powerful results that scientists want to synthesize the fruits of our labor. Though, as our a legged sister, we are feared, stepped on, and shooed away, despite the contribution we make to transform the world into a better place.
1: That's very powerful. I, I really do enjoy this poem. It's a really, really great one. If you don't mind, I just kind of like to kind of start with uh, a little commentary um first of all it's, i mean it's just a wonderful poem what stands out for me i think it's something that kind of attracts me i think uh, in poem is there's this almost a quiet rage that is occurring um there is you know like i can feel that the rage but it's not this kind of in your face kind of rage you know i appreciate that and that first line, I think, I'd like to see women come out on top. It's like a great kind of declaration, a great way to just kind of start that. And it's it's really kind of jarring. It's almost like, you know, like the sea floor,
2: mm.
1: and it's just kind of calm and peaceful, right? And you like you put your hand in that the, the sand, and you just move your hand around, and like there's just like you know sand all in the water and stuff. And that's kind of like what I get from that very first line. I'd like to see women come out on top. Boom. You're just kind of already jarring the kind of establishment with just that intro, you know? Right, right. Very lovely. So some of the thing that kind of really drew me, a lot of clever things that are happening here that I really appreciate. The use of, like, numbers. I'd like to just kind of zoom in on this line. We're not even weighed at 3 mm-hmm. since dozens need to speak up. I, I love that, and I'm sure... I. I wonder if you were referencing the kind of the three-fifths compromise?
0: The three-fifths of how African Americans were viewed as...
1: Yeah. yeah. It's so tragic, and yet, unfortunately, it, it rings true in, in, this, in the sense of, you know, this inequality that you're touching on. So I think there's, there's the rhythm there that you play with, with the numbers. The weight at three fifths. Since dozens need to speak up, uh, and then you have the line, and three hundred rape victims might net a ten-year jail sentence. And there's just like a, a juxtaposition between this beautiful cadence yeah. and these very, you know, sad realities, you know, yeah. that are happening here. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, thank you for telling uh, me the three-fifths compromise. I clearly have not <laughs> remembered my history classes.
1: <laughs> well it no it's i mean it stood out to me i knew i'd heard uh I remembered something about it so i i looked it up and i was like okay that's right, right. Uh, oh the progression of this poem is just uh, i love how you know the, it kind of begins with what the speaker kind of wants in a way i mm-hmm. think with you know that i'd like to see women come out on top right and then you kind of move into how the speaker views their group, right? In the, in the eyes of society or their place in society.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then we move towards the turn kind of happens. I, I want to say where we produce such powerful results so kind of towards the, the end. Now we have this um, powerful, resilient quality that emerges, mm-hmm. I think, from the speaker and from the group being Described by the speaker, and another thing, you know, I really love this—the this, the metaphor, the comparison to the spider, mm-hmm. to you know the, the women and, and the spider. Just a lovely metaphor. The, Thank you. It, and it it's very true. It is for, unfortunate, but like just the powerful nature of, of spiders, and they they create and this, and yet human beings, men or have that kind of natural reaction to kill or stomp the spider so it was just a very powerful metaphor i think
0: thank you yeah and and it's kind of ironic right because it's stereotypically associated women and spiders are like women fear spiders women fear bugs um Right, right so to to have that comparison to in a way in a sort of subversive way to break that stereotype yeah. By using that comparison.
1: And well chosen. Yeah, I, I really dug that. <laughs> that was awesome. I have a question. Do you think, uh, like, in terms of audience, you, do you feel like this is meant more for, for women as a maybe unifying call? Or perhaps, like, more for men as a sort of how should I put it, Um, to kind of maybe more for men and having them understand the kind of uh, point of view of what women deal with.
0: Well, this particular poem, I didn't write to a prompt or anything. And so (laughs) usually when I write, when I'm not writing to a prompt, I'm just writing what I feel wants to come out at that moment. And when I do that, I don't think of audience. So I think it could work for both, especially in the way that the poem turns, in in the many ways that it turns, because I'm talking to several different audience and not just, not just like, uh, you know, male or female, but also different uh, people from different racial groups.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, I definitely, um, I, I love the kind of, in a way this sense of call to arms in a way sort of thing mm. that's a call to action almost a yeah. uh, feeling that is resonating in, in, in the poem i think mm. earlier when we were talking about the visual mm-hmm. so your poem is just kind of this almost like one you know one stanza right and it moves but i think it gives it that energy i think it it's almost like a like a long a breath you know mm. but something almost like yelling kind of
2: <laughs>
1: and, it, and it you know like that and it, it it allow there's no I think my if you were to break it up it would kind of give it pauses and I don't think it would serve it I, I love the visual of it I think it allows it's like these are things that need to be said and they are said without pause you know mm.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I, I've never thought about it that way. And, and I appreciate you bringing that up. It's always nice to see how people react to your poems, you know? <laughs> and I think it's, it adds a lot to the poem uh, when you see how other people might look at it and take things out of it that you might not have even thought about when you were writing it.
2: Yeah.
0: The funny thing about my poetry is I tend to write in the large you know uh when i say i don't edit i don't do any visual aspect i i mean like you know most of my poems tend to come out in a large chunk and then even if i do line break it's usually afterwards that i'm like oh i think i need a line break so, <laughs> yeah so yeah I, I i get what you're saying and yeah it makes sense thank you
1: no no it's it's really well i like it i'm just curious you know like in general just what. What is, like, your process when you just sit down to write poetry?
0: Usually it's just uh, a line comes to mind uh, because of some previous experiences, which, you know, a reader of this poem might or might not get out of. I've been self-isolating to an extent. So that's what I was talking about when I said I have kind of have some preparation. I have some practice (laughs) with isolation.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: So when you do self-isolation, as you know, even if you're amongst people, if you feel isolated, you go a lot into your own mind. Yes. And you tend to reflect a lot. So for every experience you have, you might reflect on that for hours or days on end about it, not necessarily in an obsessive way, but... You look at it, you can look at it from different perspectives as if an experience is almost a a physical object that you can turn and take a look at. Right. And in doing that, different thoughts will come into your head because you notice different facets of that particular experience. And and then uh, a line will come out, and I'll be like, oh, that seems like a poem. So I would lay down that line, and then the rest would just come out. It's sort of like, again, sort of like the spider. It's just like she kind of, you know, regurgitates material into a silk, and then it just keeps coming out until she weaves something.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you touch on something very uh, familiar, I think. I'm very similar in that I jot down words or phrases or what have you based mm-hmm. on what I'm feeling, experiencing or whatever. Right. Yeah, and then I think from there, it just kind of spins away, you know?
0: <laughs> right, right. And, you know, sometimes sometimes you feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a complete thing. I think I'm done now. And then sometimes you're like, um, I don't think that's done, but I don't have any more material left for it.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, just curious, and this is just something that I tend to ask mm. most writers that I've made, it just... Do you ever experience what you know writer's block or whatever and how do you deal with it?
0: I do I don't think I've experienced a sort of theatrical writer's block that's that's been depicted in like movies or TV shows right I don't, I don't think I've had that. I do worry a bit though because I, I haven't been this prolific. I took a, like, 20-year hiatus between my first bit of, like, just writing, writing, writing poetry to now, which only started a few years back, again, just needing to write poetry.
2: Wow. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: And during this time, I mean, this has been, like, one of my most prolific times. But in the recent months, I would say that there's been – you know, I, I was I was writing to the tune of something like at least a poem a day, sometimes several poems a day. Wow. And, and so from that to going down to something like once a week or something like that, I was sort of worried. I was like, am I am I losing it? Is this <laughs> Have I finished my period? You know, like this sort of artistic period of my life. Is it going to end now? And so I was worried about that. But it does come. And it comes pretty regularly, and especially now, given that we have to self-isolate, but we can still consume whatever we need to consume, you know. But we can't really bounce it off of other people as readily as we would if we went out more often. Yes. So in that sense, I have a lot more inspiration to work with. And so I I find that I've been writing a lot more, and also I'm just really pissed off at what's going on politically, um, what's going on on an everyday level in terms of, you know, how things could work much better for what we're dealing with. Uh, all of it. Which is another reason I, I decided to go with this poem, because, you know, of what, what's going on politically. I just...
1: Certainly, yeah, no. Uh, and, you know, I think that might that kind of leads to you know my next question is like this poem is a very kind of look at the things around us right it's yeah. a very it seems larger than self kind of poem
0: yeah yeah
1: and which I appreciate you know I definitely like my own poetry seems to you know be either in that kind of social awareness type thing or like love poetry it's to, basically what i write about right mm-hmm. but this is a kind of very large in itself so i really appreciate that do you do you find yourself writing more towards it? like do you feel like you have a need to write about the political aspect of those those types of things that are happening around us more so than maybe something more personal
0: it really just depends on what my mind is is um, thinking about at the moment. When I'm really angry over what's going on politically, then I tend to write more political poems. And Hmm. sometimes they start out with the self, with the individual experience, and then encompass the larger world. Sometimes they're just purely like, the only self-reference that you see in this particular poem is like, I in the very first sentence, that's it.
1: Right, yes.
0: it's not even, I would say, it's not even that personal of an I. It's almost like a sort of like every, everybody's I kind of thing.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Whereas there are poems where over the last few months, because I've been concerned about, you know, different personal personal aspects, I have been writing personal poems. And I do write love poetry and more like crush poetry. <laughs> so I do, I do write those as well. I write about all kinds of subjects. It's just whatever comes to my mind, yeah. whatever I reflect on on the day of or that hour. I haven't made anybody sit down and read all of my poems at once, <laughs> which is a lot. So, <laughs> so I and I haven't done that myself either because it would just take days. To yeah. Through. So I don't. So I can't tell you whether I lean a particular way
1: or not. I see. I'm just always curious as to what is the thing that is moving us to take action in the form of artistic expression, right? You know, I mean, we're all these very unique creatures that are, 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 you know, finding a need to express ourselves for whatever reason. So I just, you know, always ask that. I'm always curious about what exactly is it that is calling us to want to write or express ourselves Yeah, like two, yeah
0: but... two of the three poems that you sent me are quite especially the one that we just talked about yours the, you know late night carousal is not you're not really in there you are in there in that you probably had that experience but you are not in there even though you use we right
1: right right yeah i do use we in there oh you know often when I write about prison experience, I think I it comes from a very personal. Like I think I intend it to be personal. I want it to be, but I use the we a lot, and right. because it's a shared experience, I think at that moment when I'm writing it, right. and I don't want to disassociate myself. I think from those persons that are experiencing that. You
2: know, right. I
1: don't want to write a line that might say. I'm a prisoner, but I'm a little bit better than this one. Or I'm a little bit worse than this. So I think I, I often will use that we, I right. think. Right.
0: Yeah. I think in so doing for the for the reader, it, it has a social commentary aspect to it. Whereas the third poem you sent me, which is a love poem. Um, yeah. You know, it was much more personal. It, it was much more intimate. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's no comparison in terms of which is revealing more. I think both are very revealing in, in their own way, but one is just much more intimate than the other.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that that microscope, the telescope, I guess, kind of zooms in and zooms out depending on the subject matter in a way. Yeah, It's almost like if you were to kind of get that kind of wide shot of New York City and what's happening, and then zoom in onto just one particular health care healthcare worker. Right, for me, there's those moments where you there's a need to really touch on the larger picture of what's happening,
2: right.
1: and then sometimes there's that need to really make it a, an eye moment, I guess.
2: <laughs> right, right,
1: exactly. Yeah, one thing about of uh, your poem "Squished." What I I think for me, something that I just kind of gravitate towards, is just this feeling, the speaking to and of the marginalized, Mm -hmm. you know, the disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's just so well done, and it just moves with having this kind of block of lines. It just moves really well. And, however, I had a question about the kind of the... towards the end, uh-huh. the last three lines, that despite the contribution we make to transform the world into a better place, I wonder, is this meant to be like more of a, a resignment, like a hopelessness, or is it supposed to evoke hope?
0: What I would say that when I wrote this, I wasn't thinking of the last three lines being separate from the part where I start saying, but just as a tiny spider... We yeah such powerful results is okay. it's to remind people to first firstly say remember how valuable we are uh, you know it, in some ways it's doing something that i don't like which is to put a value on people <laughs> you know, it's the <laughs> yeah the utilitarian argument which i don't like uh, hmm. in many ways at the same time I I think a lot of people will respond to the utilitarian argument of why should we value you as, you know, equal, you know, which is, you know, nobody asked that question out in the open, but we are always making that judgment.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a very honest insight to that.
0: Yeah. I felt like a, a kinship between our poems in that, you know, we both obviously want to be valued both yeah. as individuals and also as a class of people.
1: Yes, I think that's what I think these two poems are kind of speaking to as well as sharing yeah. uh, this desire to be recognized, I think, to be recognized as the truthful versions of, of what they are or what the the persons in the poems are you know right. to see be able to be seen beyond what is the stere- the establishment whatever that may be you know right,
0: right. beyond beyond the stereotypes to see yeah. the humanity in each of us i think in my poem more again the utilitarian aspect and but the humanity of it, of us yes in closing i would love to ask you Especially given what's going on now, are you reading anywhere online, and how can people follow you?
1: I'm always uh, looking for opportunities to read, but unfortunately, I'm I am not right now. Right. However, uh, you know, if anybody was uh, wanting to follow me or look for me, they can find me on Instagram at lens underscore twelve
0: eighty three. Well, thank you very much for sharing your poem with us and for talk- discussing our poem together i really appreciate it and i
1: really enjoy the experience thank you thank you for having me it was a real pleasure
0: you can follow us at poetsandmuses.com and via social media on instagram as well as twitter under poets and muses you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right hand side of the poets and muses soundcloud page Now, in addition to PoetsAtMuses.com and our SoundCloud page, you can also listen to our episodes via Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, as well as Stitcher. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.